Abraham Spencer is driving his Porsche way too fast. It's a residential neighbourhood. It's early morning. It's dark. It's quiet. But he's weaving left and right. The music in the car is blaring. And Abraham is singing along with the music. He tries to negotiate the semicircular drive in front of his home, but misjudges it and lurches up and into a well-manicured flower bed. The car gets stuck. The driver's door opens and Abraham, a young man, wealthy in appearance but dishevelled, falls out of the driver's seat. We hear him falling onto the ground with a thud. Struggling, he calls, crawls up and onto the lawn. Then he stands up somewhat unsteadily. The music is still blaring. So Abraham turns, leans into the car and switches off the car engine. He turns and surveys the damage. He now looks at the now silent Porsche, then at the house. It is still in darkness. Abraham brushes himself off. He looks around, then he wonders aloud. Fuck, those gardeners have got their work cut out for them now. At least it'll give them a chance to earn their pay for once. He walks unsteadily towards the side entrance of the house. He's searching his pockets for his house key. He can't find them. But then he notices that the side door is actually open. As it's open, Abraham enters. He seems unhurt, his clothes are dirty and he's staggering slightly, but basically he's uninjured. Inside the kitchen, we see his mother standing there. Obviously, it's her who's opened the side door. She's seen it all before, but she's silent. She wants to say a lot of things, but she doesn't. Slowly, we focus on her face. She says pretty much everything. A helpless mother, tired of giving long speeches to a dysfunctional son. Abraham walks past his disapproving mother and disappears up the elegant stairway to his bedroom. Now we see a large bearded man carrying a female. This is Jodie Jensen. She's around 35 years of age. She's a smart, tough looking lady. She's in his arms as they move along the corridor. He's strong and walking steadily in spite of the weight of Jodie. As he reaches the door, he uses a card hanging around his neck to pop it open. He carries Jodie through the door. She reaches and grabs the door frame. Dave, you idiot, when I said I wanted to get carried away, I didn't mean literally. And this is not an official over-the-threshold thing. Put me down. Biker Dave looks at Jody and just lets her drop straight to the floor with a thud. He leaves her there, steps over her, and on through the door. Jody scrambles upright and bounds after Dave. You fucking idiot. That's going to cost you big time. The door closes behind her.
Kathy enters a very spartan-looking gym. She's on her own. She's around 40 years of age. She's attractive. The gym is full of the normal CrossFit torture devices. Kathy takes off her tracksuit. Beneath, she has a sports bra and track pants. She's discreetly tattooed, lean, tough-looking. She picks up a skipping rope and starts to skip hard. As she is skipping, we see Kathy's face. It seems very focused. Back at the Spencer residence, the Porsche is still parked haphazardly in the flower bed. The only lights that are on are the ones in the master bedroom. We hear a phone ring. We hear Peter call, calm, collected, answer the phone. Peter is a nemesis operator and they always answer fast when their clients need help. The scene lingers on the front of the house as additional lights come on. Peter speaking, may I help you? Peter, it's Mrs. Spencer. I need your help. I think Gary's in trouble. He's slurring his words and stumbling all over the place. Should I call 911 for you, Mrs. Spencer? They'll not be as fast as me. However, they are the right people for an emergency like this. No, Peter, no, I've called Mr. Spencer's doctor, Dr. Gold, and he has cleared us to go straight to Mount Sinai through the shipping and receiving area. We need to keep wraps on this, Peter. Okay, ma'am, I'll be there in two minutes. I'll be at the side door. Do you need me to come in? No, Peter, just get here and we'll be right out. Okay, well, actually, I'm here now. Peter hangs up. Now we're back in the gymnasium where Kathy is going through a very intensive CrossFit workout. She's on her own and her cell phone vibrates. She picks it up. It's a text. It's to her, to Jody, and to Felix. Guys, I'm taking Gary Spencer to Mount Sinai with the entire gland. It's a stroke, maybe. Need some backup in the area ASAP. Kathy answers the text. I'm on it. Keep me posted. Kathy throws on a leather top over a workout kit and she runs out. She runs down the stairs and out into a side alley where her motorcycle sits. Meanwhile, Jodie is leaning out of bed and she's checking her phone. 
as she reads and responds to the text. I'm on it, guys. Moving now. She jumps out of bed. She's naked. She drags some jeans and a top lying on the floor on. She finishes dressing. Meanwhile, a bearded man appears from underneath the bed. The same man that dropped her on the floor outside. Man. It's 4am. We've only been in bed for two hours or so. What the fuck? Jody says, shut up. I'll text you later. We see Jody with her jeans and top on exit the room. She walks out into a hallway looking at her phone. She runs to a nearby elevator. She's in the elevator texting. Jody's texting Felix and Vlad. Guys, I'm in the building. Vlad, can you get into the area fast? Peter has had to get the Spencer clan to Mount Sinai. Felix, I need a couple of extra guys in ASAP. Jody organises upstairs, Kathy descends down into the underground back garage on her motorcycle. It runs down the ramp, swings through some cars and stops next to the elevator lobby. Kathy, the rider, dismounts, holds her helmet in one hand, jacket over her arm and backpack on her shoulder. She runs past the elevator and uses a touchpad to enter a stairwell. Peter has managed to corral all of the Spencer clan into the company van. They're all there. They're all noisy, except for Gary. He's very quiet. Peter, drive faster, yells Mrs. Spencer. Dr. Gold wants us there right away. The young man, Abe, is still a little drunk, but he yells at his mother. Stop yelling at Peter. If we are stopped by the cops, our little secret journey will be out. At the same time, we see the butler, Matthew, immune to the whole situation and busy with his phone. He's texting someone. Albert, I need your kosher breakfast for five. Ready for pickup at 6.30 and everything fresh, okay? The two daughters, Alice and Abby, are showing each other their phones. Alice is whispering, I told you it was a stroke. Hence the rush. If they get some drug into him, Fast, maybe he can get back to normal. Abby laughs, yeah, whatever that might be. James Christchurch is sitting in his downtown office. He's an officer with the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. 
As he's watering his plants, a female walks into his office. She's carrying a folder and she's wearing a hijab. James looks up. Good morning, Faiz. Faiz places a folder in front of James. Mr. Christchurch, I'm struggling with your latest expenses. It seems to be free of any attached active file. James looks at the file. You can call me James, as I just called you by your first name, Faiz. Just not Jim. My mother says I christened you James, not Jim. Faiz seems immune to James's charming dialogue, but she sticks to her message and responds in a similar way. I think James is a beautiful Christian name. You won't get Jim from me, neither will I authorise these expenses. Why should we pay you to lunch with these nemesis people at such wonderful venues? Where is the justification? I don't get it. James knows that Faiz is not someone he can play around with. Faiz, this is a very sensitive file. It comes from on high, Ottawa. They're very interested in this nemesis setup. But James is overplaying his hand. Faiz is unconcerned with James and his ducking and weaving. So Friday, at the justification meeting, make your case and loop in your Ottawa believer. Then maybe, just maybe, we can move on to your expenses. Until then, no payment, okay? She picks up the file, but James grabs it back. Faiz shrugs and leaves the office. James sits down, swivels his chair and looks out onto the construction site outside his window. James looks annoyed. Fuck, fuck, fuckity fuck, he says. Aside from the ongoing activities, we find ourselves looking at an attractive, dark-skinned woman in a domestic uniform. She is sitting on the floor with her back against a door. It's an obviously high-end home. She looks amused as her boss yells for her. Sophie, where the fuck are you? The man continues to rummage around the house looking for his staff member, Sophie. Kathy is inside her office. She's alone. She seems preoccupied. She seems to need someone to discuss the Gary Spencer circumstance. She makes up her mind. She sits and very slowly reaches out to her office phone and picks up the handset and she dials. Kathy starts to talk as the phone is answered by Alan Beatrie her elder statesman, her mentor, her legal advisor. Alan is the gatekeeper for her mysterious financial backers. Kathy's asking, so sir, I was right to be worried? This is a big deal, Gary getting sick. We think it's a stroke or even a tumor. They want a media clampdown. But is that a problem for us to be part of? She pauses and listens and answers. Okay, 
so we aren't liable. No one on my end will share this around. I will put it on a blackout. She pauses and listens some more. Okay, thanks. I just thought I should ask. Sometimes you need to fill me in on insider training and short selling and all that sort of stuff. Intrigued, Kathy pauses and listens and answers. Sounds very complicated, sir, but thanks very much. There is a large open area dominated by a large white whiteboard that is filled with the daily columns of events. This is the Nemesis operations room. There are eight desks with tables and a world map on the back wall. There are side offices and two doors out to more offices and then one direct outside entry door. Two men and one woman are standing staring at the whiteboard. One of the men is poised to write on the board. As Jody starts to talk, Kathy enters the room in a smart pinstripe suit. She's coming from the back area where her office is. Jody stops, looks at Kathy, and teases her. Hey, boss lady, don't you look polished? Kathy ignores her business partner and just stands looking at the board. Jody senses the seriousness of her partner. So, guys, we seem busy. Felix, we okay? We got it all covered? Felix replies, the only wobbler is this ship, Alves. His missus is away and Sophia is in the place alone with this asshole. We could, Kathy interrupts, stop. The room gets tense. Everybody takes cue to quieten down. This is because Kathy has raised her voice. Felix, shut the fuck up, says Kathy. Felix's expression changes. Kathy continues, whatever we think is going on there, we can't control it. We are not the cops, nor some good support agency. We work for our clients, not against them. And if any of you social worker types have an issue with that, then it's simple. Fuck off and join the Salvation Army. It's not a nemesis problem, okay, everyone? Kathy storms out of the office, heading downtown. We follow her as she goes through a complex counter-surveillance routine that she applies when she visits Alan Beatry. This is an attempt to keep her financial backer in the background, Alan being the only link to that financial backer. Kathy gets into a taxi outside the office and heads downtown. She exits the vehicle on a one-way street, makes her way through the office to another taxi and a one-way running the other opposite direction. Then she stops at an office building with an attached below-ground subway stop. She walks through, Kathy bypasses the subway and into the office lobby. She goes up into the building via a stairwell. Outside the Alves residence, the neighbors, rich, wealthy people, and the vehicle is approaching. It's a van. It stops at the end of a long drive outside the side door to a significantly large house. Peter exits the vehicle. 
looks around, takes a deep breath, stands for a while, then walks to the doorstep, rings the bell. Moments later, the door opens and it's Mr. Alves himself, the client, looking angry in his dressing gown. What do you want? I didn't order a car. Peter replies, no, sir, Mrs. Alves did on her way out to the airport. Miss Sophia is taking Mary to the dentist. Alves looks annoyed, shouting, Sophia, the door. Vlad is stood in a hospital corridor outside of a private room. He is monitoring the comings and goings in the corridor. He's actually on anti-media watch. Then we see Dr. Gold walking down the corridor. Vlad becomes a little tense as he sees the doctor appear. He opens the door for the doctor as he closes in and lets the doctor inside. Surprisingly, Dr. Gold reaches back out and pulls Vlad inside. Vlad would rather be outside. Kathy's sat outside an office on a chair. She's waiting and checking her phone. We see another female opposite her sitting behind a desk. She looks at Kathy. She is Molly, executive assistant to Alan Beatry. It's Alan Beatry's office that Kathy is waiting to enter. She realizes Kathy is annoyed at having to wait, so Molly tries to engage. Kathy's in with somebody right now, but he knows you're here. Can I get you anything? Before Kathy answers, Alan Beatry's head pops around the door. Sorry, Miss Nemesis, come on in. Molly, can we get some tea, please? As he talks, Kathy stands up and puts her phone inside her pocket. She starts walking towards Alan Beatry's office. Meanwhile, Alan keeps standing at the door until he can let Kathy inside. Kathy enters, takes a quick look at the significant office, and then looks back at Molly. She smiles. Molly smiles back. The whole Spencer clan are gathered around Gary's bed. Dr. Gold and two nurses are attending to Gary. After a pause, they leave the room. Mrs. Spencer addresses everybody in the room. Okay, so Mr. Spencer has an operable brain tumor that we will scoop out tomorrow, but we must keep this news to ourselves. Abraham, without fully capturing the sense of why Mrs. Spencer is concerned, typically out of sync with everyone else. He's going on around him 
Abraham says, Mum, why so secret? There are loads of people who should know. They would want to know. It's not fair. Abe, do you realise that we need to keep this under wraps? Or do you want a real nine-to-five job? Do you have to go to work every day and give up your Porsche? Because if this news goes public, our company, our public company, could be worth nothing very, very quickly. Kathy's now inside a very comfortable office with Alan Beatrie. We hear his washroom flush and a bearded 50-ish year old dark swarthy man appears. He's immaculately attired and advances towards Kathy, his hand outstretched. Ah, so this is the famous Kathy Kitchen of the Nemesis Gang. I am Aziz to my friends and I hope we can be friends. Alan Beatrie sees this as an awkward moment he attempts to lessen the tension. First of all, as is, Kathy doesn't believe in friends, never has, never will. But when she hears Nemesis being referred to as a, Kathy stands up and shakes Aziz's hand and chats. Aziz, it's so nice to meet you. I'm afraid Alan Beatrie is just teasing. I do have many friends, but I choose not to put them in front of the same room as the great white lawyer shark. How can I help you? Peter is driving with Sophia. In the back, they have an empty car seat, a baby seat. Sophia asks Peter, how did you come to know, Peter? Mrs. Book, the dentist with us, and I just do as I'm, being, as I'm told. There is no dentist, Peter. Not to worry, Sophia. They pay us a flat fee, so no extra costs. How about we use the time for a coffee? That would be very nice. Mr. Alves will never figure it out. He cares nothing for his little Mary and her routines. Nothing to figure out, really. We were, we messed up. I'll tell my office. Sophia looks mystified but smug. She's playing Peter. It's that obvious. Kathy exits the stairwell into the corridor that leads round to her office. She goes in through the employee door, the side door. She walks into the ops room and grabs Jody on the way through to her office. But before she enters her office, she turns, studies the board and says to Felix, who's in the area? I searched all around for a while, but I couldn't find anybody. And Felix, I know where to look, so find out, okay. Kathy and Jody continue on through and into the back office. 
Meanwhile, out in the area, Peter and Sophia are tucked into the corner of a coffee shop, chatting fervently. I'm so sorry I had to tell you all this, Peter. It's a nightmare. Mr. Alvarez has my passport, so I can't leave. I'm convinced he's trying to rape me. I'm sure he is. I've told my brother and he's very mad. Peter holds up his hand and looks at his phone. It's a text from Felix. Felix, where the fuck are you, buddy? The boss has just asked and the GPS shows you at a coffee shop on Warren Road. What the fuck? After reading the text, Peter looks at Sophia. So we have to go. Here, take down my mobile number, text or call me if you need to. Not through the office, Peter? Not if the personal. Not if it's personal. And keep your brother under control, okay? The pair exit the coffee shop. They seemed in a bit of a rush, especially Peter. Following him, Pete, Sophia tries to keep up. Peter reaches the vehicle, looks around, worried. Back in the office, Jody is looking out of Kathy's office window. Kathy is at her computer. This isn't the first new age Arab girl, especially the wealthy ones who are breaking from tradition and absconding abroad. When they do, the families bear the brunt. Jody's response is, but babe, do we want to help this guy drag his 22-year-old daughter back home against his will to whatever consequences? Who knows? That's if we can find her. Jody says, you know I can find her. I'll do a CC to all of our hotel network and I'll know where she is within an hour. She won't be motelling it, babe. Okay, find her. We'll talk to her first and then as is. And Jody, find out about the open area issue. If it's that fuck up Peter, he's gone, okay? Are we still eating Chinese with the mad Spencer clan tonight? Asked Jody. Yeah, I'll go. You join us when you can. At least it will be great food. Later on that same day, Jody is schmoozing with the Four Seasons bar girl as James Chrysler, the CSIS officer, ambles in. A look is exchanged and he takes a seat in the corner. Jody starts towards him after pecking the bar girl on the cheek. As she gets close to James, he passes a comment, Oh, that looked very sexy. She responds as she sits down, Fuck off, pervert. That's it, invite me to a nice place and then abuse me. Do you really want us to revisit the pervert label? James shrugs, I think not. And a hello to you too. By the way, today's your treat. My bosses at your friendly neighbourhood spy agency aren't smiling on my expense accounts these days. Jolie laughs, no shit, Mr. Expense Account Padder. Are you still reporting to that nice Muslim lady? Oh, very funny, says James. She's not my boss. I report directly to Ottawa, young lady. You do know that I don't give a fuck, James. Now I need a little background on someone for a friend of ours.
Spencer family had gathered to celebrate the patriarch's surviving open brain surgery that morning. Gary Spencer is sitting with his head bandaged, wearing a crash helmet. He's looking very jovial as he crams in on food. The family members are addressed by Mrs. Spencer. Hi, everyone, she says, looking around. Then she addresses Kathy. Kathy, can you make sure the waiting staff leave? Kathy points the waiting staff to the exit. Mrs. Spencer is silent and waiting for the staff to exit. As they all leave, she speaks again. Now, obviously, we were all very happy to have Daddy home again after a few uncertain days. So, a round of applause. As the applause dies down, Mrs. says, thank you. However, we do have somebody very silly here, someone who has blabbed about Daddy's condition. And because of that blabbermouth, our company could be in real trouble. She pauses for effect. What that means is Daddy has to be fit and ready to talk to stock analysts in two days. I need two things from everybody here. First, support and care for Daddy to get him well enough to speak publicly. And second, she pauses again for effect. If anybody here has talked outside of our circle, please come and see me. That is before I send Kathy to see them. Loyalty, 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 and more loyalty. Everyone okay? Mrs. Spencer finishes talking, then she looks at Kathy. Kathy, when Jody gets here, please come and see me. We need to chat. Jody has arrived, and her and Kathy are standing outside the Chinese restaurant, leaning against the company van. Both are quiet. Something's on Kathy's mind. Jody seems relaxed, as always, and Kathy breaks the silence. Well, I'm glad you finally popped in. Jody responds, You know where I was? That dirtbag church wanted his pound of expenses flesh. But I did get what we needed. Her explanation does not seem to affect Kathy. She's still somewhere else. She seems more serious than usual. Kathy says, okay, okay, but listen, Mrs. here wants a full-blown Spanish Inquisition on this leak. Everyone who knows must be drilled, but there is someone who knows that wasn't involved directly. It might be him, Jody, I told Alan. Are you kidding? Why the fuck would you tell him he's just the sort of hooked-up guy who could run with this? Oh, and I never thought of that, sister? but I needed us to be in the clear legally. I don't know this shit and the insider trading and short selling shares, etc., etc. I just needed his advice. I certainly not. I hope it's not him that's leaked this. Just then Peter exits the restaurant with the Spencer clan in tow. Kathy, upon seeing him, spots Peter. As she does, she walks towards him and nods him over. While Peter is talking to Kathy, all the Spencers are talking amongst themselves and piling into the van. Kathy lowers her voice. I want to see you back at the office. But boss, I've been on the go since last night. Peter looks again. Okay, okay, I know that look. I'll see you there later. Peter runs towards the van. Kathy watches him carefully while Jody comes slowly towards Kathy. Kathy and Jody watch as Peter enters the van and they drive off. Jody looks at Kathy. Do we have some kind of issue with our favourite singing security man? Peter's well known to be singing to clients when they drive. 
the management was horrified, but it turns out that all of the clients absolutely adore it. Kathy says, well, he might be your favorite, but he's certainly not mine. After all of the adventures of the night, at the end of which Peter is walking in to the office alone. He scans the room and spots Felix sitting at his desk. Felix talks to Peter. Long day, buddy. And Peter, upon seeing that Kathy's not there, is very unhappy. You could say that all day till just now, and then the boss wants to see me here and she's a no-show. She's not a no-show, buddy. I told her I'd deal with you. Felix's tone is somewhat serious. Deal with what? asked Peter. You fucked up big time, man. The boss thinks you and the Valdez maid Sophia are a thing, as they say. Your little coffee shop episode pissed her off big time. Peter's horrified. Of course I'm not banging her. Peter moves away from Felix. He wants to explain himself, so he needs a little space. He slumps into a chair and he places his head in both his hands. Peter, I'm not that. Peter, I'm not that crazy. I just had to get away, from, get her away from Valdez. You know what's happening, or we think is happening. Sophia didn't even guess I was rescuing her. I told her we'd messed up the bookings. We just had a coffee to keep the timings right. Honest, Felix, I've fucked up before, but not this time. Please talk to Kathy for me. I'll try, buddy, but who knows? She's so unpredictable. And Peter, if this Sophia reaches out to you directly, call me right away. Now fuck off and grab a few hours sleep. Sleep with this thing dangling over my head, says Peter. Yeah, thanks, Felix. You're the man. later we see Sophia holding Mary Valdez by the hand. They are walking towards a seedy looking motel. Waiting for them at the open motel door is a male. The male is Sophia's brother Miguel. Sophia talks to Miguel. Well brother you've really gone way up market with this accommodation I can see. Should we speak Spanish? There's no one around. Miguel my dumb brother Mary here is her eight-year-old. She makes a great witness if this things go sideways. Miguel, still speaking in Spanish. Oh, yeah, okay, sorry, no, no ransom demand. Then just straight sail to whoever. You know the guys on their way are not guy, nice guys, right? I think Mary's probably in for a rough ride. Sophia, still speaking in Spanish. Do you want a new life or not? Did you want that fat pig to rape me or not? Do you have another plan or not? Well, Sophia responds in English. So Mary, mummy and daddy are on their way. But because of the fire at the house, we need to stay. 
with my friend here tonight. He's a good friend and we can trust him. He will keep us safe until the morning when they come to pick you up. Miguel again reverting to Spanish. And I thought you were the nice one of us too. Shit lady, you're a piece of work. Miguel then loudly in English says, okay guys, who's for pizza? We see the three entering the motel, the door closes and we focus on the door as it slams shut. Felix is once again covering the 98 hotline in the operations room. It's early a.m. He often covers when there's operational tasks running here, there and everywhere. He'd sit in the middle and guide it all. As he sits there, the 98 hotline rings. Felix answers. Felix speaking, may I help you? Felix listens as the caller talks. Felix responds, so, Mr. Alves, let me confirm both of you are in New York, but Sophia and the maid isn't answering the house phone. But should she at 2 a.m.? Felix listens and answers. Okay, Mr. Alves, I'll send the area guy over. Trevor will ring the doorbell. If there's no answer, he will go in and check the house, top to bottom. Then I'll call you back as soon as I know. Once Trevor has completely searched the house, Felix hangs up. But he's sat there thinking about something. Something worries him, something in the back of his mind. Maybe it's the Peter issue. Early the next morning, Kathy is sitting on the floor of her apartment. It's a loft apartment stacked with fitness gear. She has a punch bag and it's all very messy. She's on the phone and she's talking with Mr. Alves. Yes, sir, I'm afraid the house is empty, as is Sophia's bedroom. Most of her personal longings, it seems to be gone. I'm afraid this doesn't look good. Kathy listens some more. Okay, so just so I'm clear, no police action yet. Yes, we have a list of places Sophia has been dropped off in the past by our guys. We have a number, but it's one of your phones and she's left it behind again. That is a bit worrying. Kathy listens to Mr. Alves some more and then she says, I don't think we need to be using words like kidnapping and extortion just yet. I thought Sophie was very close to Mary. I think maybe she's gone off for a sleepover and taken Mary with her. I'm not sure when we hit those places where our friends are that we won't find us safe and sound. Kathy pauses and listens again as Jody slips in through her apartment front door. Now Mrs. Alves is on the phone. No, Mrs. Alves, I wasn't aware she had a brother in town and that he'd been to the house. I'd like to have known that. We could have checked him out, make sure he was an okay guy. Never mind. We need to find him as well. 
please text the office with his full name and approximate age if you can. Kathy listens some more as Mrs. Alves talks. Okay, expect we can find out about him. Thank you. I'm sure we'll have some news soon enough. Please try and relax and we will see you at the airport. Are you using the company plane to come back? They will give us the arrival details and we will meet you at the airport and I'm sure we'll have some more news by then. Kathy hangs up, looks at Jody, who'd been listening to the conversation. Can you believe this shit? Mary plus the I've got a brother security doesn't know about Sophia gone walkabout. So I need a couple of things, amongst which your your disorganised crime boyfriend might be starting to get his ear to the ground. I wonder if Sophia is really peddling this pretty young girl around. He'd know soon enough though, right? Jody says his gang wouldn't touch this, but they know who would. I'll text him. Kathy looks at Jody and sort of weakly smiles. Just another day in crazy town. Now get your fat ass moving. She looks towards Jody's thighs as she says this. Yeah, fat is right. I get no time to train these days. Remember? We have those Spencer interviews later on today as well. Then maybe I'll get some time to train if you let me. Yes, and I st- I'm trying to believe that Alan Beatry didn't spill the beans on this. We're fucked if it tracks back to us. And by the way, I don't like you sleeping with Dangerous Day in our office building. Sure, he's in the building as the supervisor of sorts. The Pentels is convenient. It worked the other morning, but stop, okay? Rent a room, please. But not in our building, that's dumb. Jody looks to say something, she decides against it. Later that same day, Kathy and Jody arrive at the Spencer house with the still wrecked flower bed and the mangled shrubs. They see an angry gardener trying to undo the Porsche inflicted damage. They're walking towards the entrance door. Looking at the damage on the way up, Jody talks. Kathy responds, I thought we were parking his Porsche this day. He's never managed to get up that circular drive. Yeah, but he only remembers when he's sober and that's what they refer to as a conundrum, Kathy. Yeah, no shit. Now let's go in and hit Hanna-Barbera household. She wants to see us before we waterboard the others. Boy, this is gonna be fun, isn't it? As they reach the house, Kathy, as they reach the house, Kathy rings the doorbell. Moments later, we see the door opened by the butler, Matthew, who guides them into the house. The butler smiles at the two ladies. All three are used to the Spencer's insanity. Kathy and Jody are now alone in the ultra-modern kitchen with Mrs. Spencer. Ladies, I'm feeling very let down and disappointed, but I've discovered who the leaker is. Kathy shoots a very nervous look at Jody. I hate it when those close to me let me down, and it hurts me to tell you that in fact it's our son Abraham who shot his mouth off. Kathy, obviously relieved. Wow. And we've been looking at Dr. Gold as a prime suspect. 
Mrs. Spencer looks surprised. Why on earth would he do that? Jody enters the discussion to support Kathy. Because he's an awful investor, way too trusting, and he's in hock up to his stethoscope. We thought he was hoping to make a few bucks to dig himself out of his debt hole. Mrs. Spencer's surprised. Wow. We should hide the family silver, I guess. Please, Mrs. Spencer, the Dr. Gold thing is our little secret. Can we ask why Abe did it? He doesn't need the money, obviously. Nobody's stupid girlfriend's father does. So he told her when he cancelled a constant date they were going on, and she shared that with her short-selling dad. Funny enough, when he leaked the news, the stock did react, but surprisingly it went up, not down. So he owes a lot of money to shares he can't dump. That serves the greedy little man right. Saying this, Mrs. Spencer, in a bit of a rush, leaves both girls in the kitchen. As she leaves, they both look at each other, somewhat excited and relieved. Kathy and Jody are exiting down the front drive. They walk past the still toiling gardener towards the road. Kathy's phone buzzes. She takes it out of her pocket and reads the text. The text reads, one down, two to go. Kathy nods as she hears this. Jody stops, surprised, when she sees Kathy's non-reaction. Jody says, "What is all this?" Kathy walked ahead of her. "What do you mean? The face so serious. What is it? We got great news. Then all you do is frown. As I said, one down, two to go." Kathy is in the five-star hotel bar. She's sitting with Abu Al-Aziz, the guest of Alan Beatry recently, the one with the missing daughter. We see Kathy's relaxed and confident. So, Aziz, I've discussed the overall problem with my colleagues, and we're agreed there's some due diligence issues that surround your daughter's situation. Aziz responds quietly, Can we step around all the clever talk, please? You want to be sure if you find my daughter that no harm will come to her once she returns home to her mother, correct? Aziz is sounding somewhat submissive. Kathy continues, it's not her mother that concerns us, it's the state and their views on female freedom and what happens if and when we hand her over. I understand, Kathy, and I know our, as you say, track record isn't comforting to a modern lady such as yourself. And my daughter, Katrina, named in honour of a maternal grandmother, is cherished by us all. Nothing will happen to her, I swear it. Yes, I do consider myself a modern lady, as is so I'm suitably cynical when accepting promises that aren't backed up by deeds. So let's, as we say here, talk turkey.
The location of the missing Mary, the Alves child, has been solved by Dangerous Dave and his biker gang associates. What they've found out has led Jody to be sitting in a nondescript van. Inside the van are three heavy-looking men, plus Ved, Vlad, a nemesis operative. Jody's talking to Dave. So just to confirm, Miguel, Sophie's brother, thinks you're here to buy Mary. Dave is the heavy guy who we last saw in bed with Jody. Dave replies, you know, we tend to have ears to the ground in special transactions. And although this isn't our sort of thing, but because of you, my lovely lady, and you asked, we thought we'd make an offer. And here we are. Obviously, these two holding Mary a total scumbag, so we're happy to help out free of charge. Jody's laughing. Dave, free of charge? You asshole. Nothing is free of charge from your we are a club, not a gang, disorganized criminal enterprise friends. If you get Mary back in one piece and don't manage to chop the Bonnie and Clyde of the Spanish variety up into little pieces, I will owe you. Nemesis will repay you somehow. How? That remains to be seen. So it's a trust us issue, okay? Sitting in the back is, Va- is Vlad, who has a protective view of Jody. He seems annoyed that Jody and Dave are having this flirty chit-chat. Dave, nevertheless, is smiling in his normal, charismatic way. Jody, yeah, we will work something out, I'm sure. Jody continues. Vlad, as Mary knows you, I want you up front with the muscle men. They can be in the rear. Let's try and take Mary quietly. And I want Senorita Bonnie and Senor Clyde in there to relinquish Mary as if it's a normal pickup. Let's not traumatize her anymore with flying body parts and Spanish screams, okay? My information on Miguel is he's a knife carrier, but rarely a gun. So watch for him. Sophie is smart. She will blame the brother. But they're both as bad. They're both to blame. Any questions? Nobody raises their hand and asks a question. These guys are just adrenaline junkies and they want to get going. The four heavies exit the van, move across the street to the familiar looking motel. The same motel where obviously Sophia is. The guys are preparing themselves. They look, by design, sinister and dangerous. They head towards the motel. Three to the front, one goes round to the rear. Who would say no to this crowd? Through the window, we see Mary is quietly watching cartoons on the TV. The two babysitters slash kidnappers are asleep on each of the two beds. The guys are positioned ready to go. Meanwhile, back in the hotel, the conversation between Aziz and Kathy continues. Kathy's looking at her iPad. 
and she sits across from Aziz. Isn't technology a wonderful thing? Aziz responds, well, I guess if you say so. Now, please tell me, when can you start finding my Katrina? It's all I ask of you. Kathy looks up, looks serious and speaks. For the record, our fee, as agreed, paid in advance. And I see it's in our account already. Thank you. There is a further $130,000 US in our US trust account, and that is tied to Katrina's future safety and her 24-7 access to our emergency 98 number. Finally, we have your personal guarantee about Katrina's freedom to travel abroad if she so wishes. This agreement is digitally signed by you and we can publicize this letter if we ever deem it necessary. Agreed in full, says Aziz. Like you, Kathy, I must be somewhere else. So please, can we get a move on? Will you set your search in motion? I have a very limited window in which to save the family's face on this. When and where will you start? Kathy pauses. How about here and now? Aziz is getting annoyed. What do you mean? Your powers of observation leave much to be desired, Mr. Aziz. Look behind you. As Kathy says this, Peter, the nemesis operative, is sitting behind him. He leans forward and helps a young lady sitting directly behind Aziz to her feet. She turns as Aziz swivels around to face her. Aziz looks stunned. It's his daughter, and she's thrilled to see her father. Aziz turns to Kathy. Well played, Miss Kathy. Thank you so much. Can I call you if I need anything else? Then he hugs his daughter. Of course you can, says Kathy. Katrina has my number. Kathy and Peter move away from Aziz and his daughter, who are embracing and whispering to each other, both looking relaxed and happy. Not so the two swarthy-looking men standing at the exit to the bar. Kathy and Peter walk towards them. As she goes past one of the two men, Kathy stops, takes out a business card from her pocket and slips it into the top pocket of one of the two men. She smiles and moves on. Now that was a bit cheeky, said Peter. What did you do that for? Because, buddy, because. Tell Mary, the Alves child, is skipping across the motel forecourt between Vlad and Dangerous Dave. They're each holding a hand of Mary and she is skipping and swinging between the two heavies. Following not far behind them are the two remaining bikers who have just left the hotel manager's office. During all of this, we see big bearded Dave is very excited. He's trying to find a chance to talk to Jody in private. They're all going to jump into the van, but Dave pulls Jody to the rear of the van. Jody, I've not met this guy Vlad before, but holy rat fuck. That stupid Miguel pulled a knife, and before we, Jody interrupts. Yeah, Vlad took it off him and slashed his ear with it, right? It's a sort of special military unit thing. 
apparently it bleeds a lot but doesn't really hurt but it's scary as shit no kidding says Dave no surprise to you then if this guy ever quits Nemesis send him over to us no CV needed they both jump into the van Vlad seems to be annoyed again as Jody and Dave are enjoying a bit of intimacy Dave overall becomes excited more for the real rush caused by the adrenaline coursing through his veins than anything he constantly moves his head and hands in excitement Jody and Vlad look each other amused at Dave's demeanor but also a little shocked too Everyone is in the operations room. Pizza is in evidence. There are a few cans of Guinness and a bottle of Glenfinnick in evidence. Kathy appears from the back office and starts to address the gathered crowd. So guys, big well done this week. Not much sleep, but it appears all the clients or their children are all back home safe and sound. Vlad, how were Mr. and Mrs. Alves when you got home the other day? Vlad to the whole room. Jesus, these people are amazing. The only thing they said to me, now they need a new nanny. And could we send somebody over tonight to babysit? They're out of the function. Jesus, after all that we've been through, they can't do a night in with Mary. Jody pipes up. Dysfunctionality is the name. Handling that is our game. And long may they continue to be fuck-ups. Everyone seems happy and talking around to one another in the background. The operations hotline, nine eight rings, loud and clear. The hubbub dies down as Felix answers. Felix speaking, may I help you? Felix listens and speaks again. Okay, Mr. Klein, I fully understand Kathy's right here and I, we will get on this right away. Please, if there's anything more, just let us know and thanks for looping Nemesis in. Felix hangs up and talks to the crowd. Fuck, this thing never stops, does it? Check your passports, guys. This thing to Russia is going to be bumpy. As he finishes talking, we focus on Kathy's tense face. activities of the last few days we see Mr. and Mrs. Spencer in bed both seem to be sleeping but we focus to reveal Mrs. Spencer's face awake looking at her husband lovingly but he mumbles again incoherently a tear runs down her cheek she seems to worry that they're on the beginning of a journey a journey she never wanted to make Jody is enjoying a nice lunch with James, 
with a spy. Jody whispers to the maitre d' hovering around. He laughs. Jody laughs. You see James looking at both as it seems he's noticed something. And he looks smug about whatever it is. The maitre d' pecks Jody on the cheek and leaves. Then James talks to Jody. So he's part of your secret network? Jody acts shocked. You can clearly see her reaction is fake. What do you mean secret network? What's that all about? Dangerous lady, if you guys didn't have me by the balls, I'd be all over you. Tell me, how was it your people could locate that Saudi girl as fast as you did? I work for the country's spy agency and we couldn't find her. But I guess she did save us for some a difficult political situation. So your government thanks you. By the way, she's fine back home. No repercussions. We were told that she's fine. Strange from our viewpoint, just how hard did your girlfriend Kathy put the boot in on Mr. Aziz? Jody waits, pauses, and then responds, Buddy, I have no clue what you're talking about. I came here to talk to you about Russia. We have a little situation there. And if you help us, we will help you. Maybe if we did have a network of hotel doormen, concierge, maitre d's feeding us info, we might let you access it if and when you needed it. That's, of course, if we had such a network. Now, what about Russia? We focused on Jody and James sitting and talking. down from a few hectic weeks we see Peter at home laying on his bed his eyes wide open in an empty bed Vlad is in his home with his wife and his son they're having dinner Vlad's wife is very drunk and the son is fussing over her non-stop Felix is in the operations room staring at his board trying to figure things out Kathy's at home in a condominium She's in a sports bra, tracksuit bottoms. Kathy looks towards the sofa, stands for a while, looking at the chessboard, leans down, makes a move, and captures one of the other side's pieces. Kathy now quotes to herself her famous phrase, Don't lie, don't be lazy, never be stupid. Wouldn't it be nice if everyone thought the same way as I do? Kathy looks at the empty chair on the other side of the small table where the chess set is placed. Looking at it, she sits in the chair, reaches for a nearby bottle of Glenfiddich and reaches for her fine crystal glass whiskey and pours herself a heavy drink. 